This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I want to thank you for supporting The Blaze. Because of your phone calls and emails, The Blaze has been added by many TV providers. But we can't stop now. The big media companies like DirecTV, Comcast, and Time Warner aren't listening. They think CNN, MSNBC, and Al Jazeera America are all you need. But we humbly disagree, and we think you do, too. Visit GetTheBlaze.com and let your TV provider know that you want The Blaze in your home. GetTheBlaze.com. Thanks. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Good Saturday morning to you. This is Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. Grab a cup of black coffee, sit back, peruse the newspaper, cross your legs, smile, hang out with me cross and Cross your legs? That's how you read the newspaper, right? All right. Ankle on the knee, big smile across the face. Hang out with Will and Essie for the next three hours. We got a big show for you. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not there is a place for affirmative action in sports. Should we make our sports teams resemble our societies? We're also going to discuss whether or not Bigfoot really exists. And Essie has some support on her side in the form of solved a Major League Baseball player. That's right. Does gun control get you to heaven? What is the Flutie effect? But first, in our show today, the story of Clive and Bundy, a story that you all know very well. It's the number one story on the blaze right now. As I look up, live from Bundy's Nevada Ranch, filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza reveals how supporters are responding. Number one story. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And it's been going on now for a week and a half. And most listeners are very familiar with with the facts of Clive and Bundy's story there in Nevada. Lay, lay out a couple facts just in case people have lives and haven't been paying attention <laughs> to what's going on in Nevada with Clive and Bundy. Clive and Bundy is a Nevada rancher who sometime in the 1990s decided that the grazing fees he owed to the BLM for grazing 900 some odd head of cattle on federal government property uh, was no longer just. And no the longer. BLM is Bureau of Land Management. No longer did he think it was just for him to pay those grazing fees, and he stopped. And he has not paid them for 20 years. The federal government, seemingly, I guess, reaching its wits end, sent in snipers in overwhelming force, which I didn't know the BLM had under their purview. Yeah, right? Um, To take Clive and Bundy in. His cause has rallied people across this country, conservatives, uh, anti-government, small government, tea partiers, National Review... The Blaze, talk radio host. It has has become a catalyst. It's become a catalyst for many that think this government has gotten out of control. It's become a symbol for sure. And, I mean, you you might want to mention the other wrinkle that some of the reason why his land was seized by the federal government and he was then asked to pay fines on it uh, was to protect a turtle. A tortoise. Is there a difference? I believe. All right. Yes. Uh, there is a some, some animal that was insignificant to Bundy. Um, and, and, and a decision that was probably made in Washington by bureaucrats, right? Without asking people who actually live there and how this is going to affect their lives and their, their livelihood and, and how this would affect cattle raising and other very important questions. Right. 
as the federal government in Washington is wont to do. Make rash decisions uh, that sound warm and fuzzy for animal rights special interest groups or any other special interest group and not really consider down the line how this is going to affect the livelihood of average Americans. So this is what we wanted to do. Now help me out with this, Essie. We thought this debate has caused quite a divide, not just in the country, not just along the traditional lines of right and left, but this has caused a divide within the right, between not only conservatives and not only between conservatives and libertarians, but between libertarians themselves, one libertarian versus another libertarian. This issue and this debate are comp- is complicated, and this week... In the National Review, two of our favorites, our friends, kind of went at it. Yeah, I I think people are under the assumption that all Republicans agree on this, right? There is a dividing line. It's just not true. Charles Cook, writing in the National Review, he's a libertarian. And Kevin Williamson, writing in the National Review, who is also a libertarian, had very different opinions on whether or not this cause is just. So here's what Essie and I thought we should do this morning. We're going to set up... A game, a debate of sorts. Mm-hmm. A little performance. Um, I'm a big American Idol fan. So I'm sure listeners at home are American Idol fans too. We want you to listen. And of course, we want you to call in. It's 888-900-3393. Because Will and I are going to give the performances of our lives. Unfortunately, Charles and Kevin couldn't be with us today. So we're going to... Embody them. Perform as them. Yeah. So, I mean, this is our one last chance, right, to become <laughs> superstars. And instead of instead of calling this American Idol, we're going to call it American Pundit. And we're each going to give the performance of our lives, and then we're going to judge each other based on a, a whole a whole number of factors, a whole number of factors. And you at home yeah. are going to be the, final, the judge. The final decider. You are going to boot one of us off this show. Yeah, you're in, going to send one of us home. At least on this segment. Just for the meantime. <laughs> Not for forever. How are you going to do that? You're going to call 888-900-3393. Or you're going to tweet us at Will Kane, at S.E. Cup, hashtag Kane and Cup. And you're going to tell us who wins this argument. Now, performing... As Kevin Williamson today, Williamson today, who suggests a little sedition is a good thing, will be yours truly, Will Kane. And performing as Charles Cook, who discusses the problem with Clive and Bundy, will be me, S.E. Cup. Now, the good thing about American Pundit, which is different from American Idol, the age cutoff is higher. So Will and I, in our 30s... <laughs> can still perform on American Pundit, whereas we could not perform on American Idol. We're too old. And I I think I speak for both of us. We don't sing. I mean, I like to sing, but I'm not good at you singing. You do sing. You will sing before the show is over, most likely. <laughs> I do sing all the time. But that's not, that is not the point of American Pundit. The point of American Pundit is for you, Will, to give the performance of your lifetime as Kevin Williamson and convince this audience at home to save you and vote you mm-hmm. their next American pundit. 
All right, so this is American Pundit. Resolved. Take it away, Will. The issue for the debate today. It seems clear to most impartial observers that Cliven Bundy does not have a legal case against the federal government of whether or not he should be able to graze his cattle on BLM land without paying grazing fees. However, there is a role in society for civil disobedience. Resolution for this debate between me, Kevin Williamson, and you, Charles Cook, who've dropped a few octaves and have dropped your English accent today. I still look good, though. You might have actually gone up a few octaves. <laughs> might be a little deeper. Is whether or not this is a just cause. Whether or not Cliven's Bundy's cause is a worthy act of civil disobedience. Now, taking the floor, Kevin Williamson. Oh, you haven't started yet? No, that was the setup. That was oh, the resolution. Okay. We had to know what we're debating. Okay. We must first set out the facts that legal and just are not one and the same. They don't mean the same thing. And there is a proper place in American society for an act of civil disobedience. This is, we have a long tradition of it, from Henry David Thoreau to Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. When the laws are unjust, the laws should not be followed. We have arrived now at a place in American history where the number of laws, we don't even know at this point, 4,000 some odd laws, are so voluminous and to the point of having become a monopolist in the specific case in Nevada where the federal government owns 87% of the land, we can no longer hide behind the defense of we must obey law. We can no longer hide behind the defense of the rule of law. And, how, and why should we when the government itself does not do so? does not avail itself or defend itself according to the rule of the law. When Obamacare is the greatest injustice when it comes to the rule of law in half a century, when the government capriciously sets aside its own laws. In fact, there's no better example than the case of immigration. In fact, it's a direct corollary to what's going on in Nevada. The government does not enforce its own borders, nor does it enforce its own immigration laws. And in fact, in that case, it's exactly the same corollary because we're talking about a trespass, an illegal immigrant trespassing on American property. Clive and Bundy trespassing upon government property. Why is it one trespass provokes the full weight of the government? Complete with snipers and the other trespass shall be ignored. How is that? And in this case, the justice, the reason for the trespass, the reason for the force is the defense of a tortoise. That's not a reason. That's an excuse. The government is looking for excuses to, as Cliven Bundy has said, manage him out of business. They have 87% of the land in Nevada. Why not take 99%? There were 12 ranchers in Nevada at one point. There, are now, there, there is now one in Clark County. 12 in Clark County, down to one. His name is Cliven Bundy, and his life is short at this point. His life as a rancher is short. And then we add on top of that the force. The force used to protect this tortoise. Overwhelming governmental force. When you add the capriciousness of the enforcement of these laws... Combined with the overwhelming force in enforcing these laws, you do not have the rule of law. This is not an example of the necessity of following the rule of law. What you have is the rule of gangsters. Okay. Um, thank you, Will. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, well, first of all, let me just say you look great. No, thank you. I think uh, I really like what you've done here. It it really the ensemble it speaks 
to you. I mean, I really get who you are <laughs> with this outfit. I, I like it a lot. The all black? Yeah, really, really good. As Kevin, I would be wearing all black. Yeah, goatee. Double-breasted. Big boots, right. A lot of leather. Um, yeah, it really, it really does. It works for you, man. It works for you. Uh, I also, I really love your passion. Your passion came through in this. Thank you. And that means a lot to me coming from you. And that sometimes can help um, overcome maybe some areas where you fell a little short. Let me just Uh, say, you were a little pitchy. I was a little pitchy. Um, You know, there were times where you were a little flat, times where you were a little sharp, you weren't hitting the notes. But um, that aside, let me me give you some specifics here. Um, Admitting at the outset that, that Clive and Bundy has no legal case doesn't really help your argument. I, I, I get that you were granting some things in the beginning, but suggesting that Clive and Bundy has no legal argument, I think at the outset sets people up to to, to not want to be on Bundy's side. Um, secondly, I, I think that the role of civil disobedience, as you say, is only determined by the success of that disobedience. And we don't know whether that disobedience is ultimately successful yet. So I think it's a little too early to be quite as predetermined as as you were uh, again i really liked your passion though oh, thank you um uh, another thing uh you're you said that that we can no longer hide behind the rule of law i i'm curious as to what what laws you think we should get to follow and which ones we shouldn't and who gets to make that decision is it you kevin williamson is it me simon cowell is it my friend over here charles cook and then um, you, you brought up immigration, which I thought really kind of proved my point or proved the opposition point. Don't you want immigration laws to be enforced? Or are you suggesting that we should not enforce immigration laws so that Clive and Bundy also does not have to follow the law? Someone like you, I imagine, really wants immigration laws to be enforced because you argue for it all the time. <laughs> all the time. Now you're seemingly saying, we don't enforce immigration laws. Why should Clive and Bundy have to follow them? Uh, And finally, I will agree with you that the force of government is out of hand. I think you made a really good point there. So overall, good performance, a little pitchy. Now it's up to the audience at home, 888-900-3393. Are you going to send Kevin Williamson home, or is he going to be your next American Pundit, coming up. But first, when we come back, it's time for Charles Cook's argument. That's right. Inhabited by S.E. Cup, Charles Cook's argument that the rule of law must be followed. That after the break on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to American Pundit, where we have just heard from Kevin Williamson. 
parentheses Will Kane, pretending to be Kevin Williamson, on why civil disobedience is key, and Cliven Bundy's case is a worthy example of civil disobedience. We will now hear from our competitor, and you at home are going to decide who wins, Kevin Williamson, parentheses Will Kane, or Charles Cook, parentheses Essie Cup. You are going to call 900-3393. Or tweet us at Will Kane and S- or at Essie Cup. Which one of these two pundits is going to go home today? We should now hear from Charles Cook. And uh, forgive me, I, I can't do his accent. I can. I don't want to. No, you must. I don't want to. You must. I don't want to. Let me start by bringing you back to our early founding as a nation. I think we're all familiar here with a little event called the Boston Tea Party. One of the greatest moments of conservative civil disobedience in the history of the world. A group of people said, you know what? We're sick of paying taxes. We don't have representation. We're going to start our own country. We're throwing this tea overboard. Now, I ask you, before I launch into my debate, I ask you, is Cliven Bundy really worthy of being compared to our founding fathers? I ask you, is Cliven Bundy's moment of civil disobedience, refusing to pay taxes on land he does not own, Refusing to follow the law. Is that really the same as our founding fathers overthrowing a brutal dictatorship and starting a new country? Let me leave you with that question and tell you why I think it's clear. It's clear that Cliven Bundy is no George Washington. Now, first, I have sympathy. For Mr. Bundy, as I said before, bureaucrats in Washington make these decisions arbitrarily, capriciously, without any respect to what's going on at home for these people, without any concern for the livelihood of average Americans. And there is too much government overreach. Absolutely 100%. But as one elder statesman said, this is a nation with a government of laws and not of men. And if we are patriots, if we are indeed Tea Partiers, it is incumbent upon us to respect the rule of law and not the men who create them, but the laws themselves. Because without these laws, we are a nation of anarchists and, yes, of men who capriciously get to decide what we can and cannot do what laws we can and cannot follow. And no one, no one here would agree that that is the kind of government we want to live under. Now, the Declaration of Independence oh God. reads all the way back again. that prudence will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. Bundy's is a light and transient cause. He did not start out to set a revolution by refusing to pay levies on this land. 
It was not in his mind to start a revolution. He is not Gandhi. He is not Washington. He is not Rosa Parks. He decided he didn't want to pay a fine. And as lofty as that goal is, it is not reason for civil disobedience. You, Sir Cliven Bundy, are no George Washington. Thank you very much. All right, when we come back, you will get my judging of that performance. You will vote at 888-900-3393. You will tweet us at Will Kane and at SE Cup which one of these pundits is going to go home after the break. You are listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Essie Cup return. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Essie Cup. He's Will Kane. And uh, you've been listening to our version of American Idol, which we're calling American Pundit. Now, ideally, in an ideal world, we would have done this with two pundits. Our friends Charles Cook and Kevin Williamson. And we acknowledge that me performing as, acting as Kevin Williamson. And me performing as Charles Cook. I mean, we don't do them justice. Is a little confusing. And, and weird. And weird. As uh, as Jonas Miller on Twitter points out, there's so much second and third person dialogue in this segment, I'm not sure who in the hell I'm listening to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Granted. We, we understand. Fine point, Jonas. But um, we wanted to, to debate this issue. And, and in fact, we intentionally haven't revealed yet how Will and I actually feel about this issue. We wanted you to hear from two conservatives. And I think it's interesting to point out that not all conservatives agree on this issue. And that's why we did this. And I think you even got to point out these are two libertarians. Yeah. Which is even more fascinating. Right. Um, It is now my turn to judge your performance. You gave the performance of Charles Cook in defense of the rule of law. I thought it was an atrocious performance. (laughs) It was the cruise ship version of punditry. You confuse the resolution. You cannot hide behind the rule of law when the point is the rule of law is unjust. Civil disobedience is the act of breaking the law because the law is no longer worthy of being followed. You point out that Clive and Bundy isn't the perfect hero in this story. He isn't the perfect protagonist. Big deal. MLK's character, should it be parsed to find out if his cause was just? Is Rosa Parks perfect from head to toe and from birth to death? Was everything she did perfect? You want to sit on the sidelines quoting Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence while there's there's real things going on. (laughs) You can't even say that with a straight face, dude. What are you waiting for? You wait for perfection, Charles. (laughs) And I tell you that life is happening in front of us. That was atrocious. From start to finish, from the resolution to the conclusion, we expect more at American Pundit. You, sir, ma'am, I'm confused, <laughs> must go home. Well, you're not going to Hollywood. Well, Simon, I think 
the good thing is the voters get to decide. They do. And we have some we have some votes in uh on Twitter if we can just go through some of the responses. I will I will give some responses in defense of Charles W. Cook and there are there are plenty. Oh, are there? Yeah, there are plenty. From Spencer Brown, I have to say, SC Cup wins American Pundit. As I agree, the Clive and Bundy, you are no George Washington. As usual, this from Karen S. Charles Cook, a.k.a. Essie, smoked Kevin, a.k.a. Will. <laughs> from Elizabeth, we are a nation of laws. Don't like them? Change them. I think that's a vote for me. No. Oh. Joanna, SC Cup, I like your last sign. You, sir, are no Washington. Rudy Mayer, Essie Cup is right. Clive and Bundy is no patriot. He's more like the Whiskey Rebellion rioters that George Washington had to put down. And you can't leave out Jim Evans, who says, although the delivery left a lot to be desired, <laughs> C.W. Cook moves on. Sorry, Will Kane. That was simultaneously a vote for you and an insult. Hey, maybe I was a little pitchy. <laughs> well, I didn't know you were going to read them off all one at a time, um, which I can do that too. Do it. Rob Supan, no contest. Cook, parentheses, S.E. goes home. I'm going to have to go with Mr. Williamson, says Matthew Wells. Sandy, Sandy Jean, says next American pundit, Kevin Williamson. Conservatarian Joe, pitchy Kevin, Will wins hands down. S.E., taxes, fees, a hero? Rosa Parks broke the law. Yikes. And then my friend on Twitter, who I will not pronounce his name, he's already almost got me fired more than once. Yep. He says, you have my vote, Will Kane. Sorry, S.E. Cup. Mm-hmm. You want to reveal for the audience the count on Twitter before we go to Al in New Jersey? Before well, we let's do have Al in New Jersey decide who wins, because by my count, we, we seem tied on Twitter. Uh, I, you, <clears throat> you're, you're very confused. <laughs> you, it would be nice for you to lean on Al, because... The count is not even close, but you know what? You want to go with Al, New Jersey? You are going to decide this, despite the fact that I have— AJ. Oh, I'm sorry. AJ. (laughs) AJ's right now like, who is Al? Um, (laughs) Despite the fact that I have doubled your vote count on Twitter— No, no, no. I feel very comfortable going with AJ. AJ, who goes home? Charles Cook or Kevin Williamson? As much as I love Charles, he has to go. Yeah! (laughs) We have uncommon sense laws. How else do we fight uncommon sense laws than through civil disobedience? How else can uh, we? Well, do there it? is a legislative voting, process for that. Other than voting, obviously. <laughs> right. Other, other than, other than by following the law and voting for politicians that you like and voting to change the law. Right. Other than that, how else do you do it but civil disobedience? True. And the other issue is our police states have become enforcement arms of our local government. It's no different. Cattle ranchers, someone driving without a seatbelt, what's the difference? When they need money, they figure out what law can they lean on the most to get the most cash from it. This, In this case, they benefited the most by taking his land and giving it to someone else. That's how else do we do with civil disobedience? We need civil disobedience. AG, when you called in this morning, did you know that you were going to be the deciding No, I didn't. I'm actually nervous, and I'm never nervous. In American <laughs> Pundit. You just decided who is our next American uh, Pundit. All right, AJ, I don't want you to go away. I want you to hang out for one second, but we should now officially declare the winner is 
Kevin Williamson, parentheses, Will Kane, America's... Do you get a big cheer? Do you have, like, the big cheer? Yeah! Woo! <laughs> but I want to do this. I want to do this quickly now, um, AJ, is I want to also share actually what I think and what SC thinks. And this is this is what I think in the end. I believe the argument that I just gave for Kevin to a large degree, except for one thing. The only part of the argument that I had to really act, that I had to really inhabit, is that I don't believe this is the perfect example. I don't believe that Cliven Bundy is the perfect catalyst for civil disobedience. I believe in civil disobedience. I believe that when the laws are unjust, you should not have to obey the law. It's the right way. It is really the only way to change them. The legislative process has left you behind. 51% does not give something justice. True. Receiving 51% of the vote does not mean you are just. That's simply the sanctioning of the mob. However, I look at Cliven Bundy and I think, it's a guy that didn't want to pay his grazing fees. And I can think of 10 other cases in this country, whether or not it's parents being forced to send their kids to schools that are under and subpar and having no options and the government not allowing them choice or the new stuff by the Social Security Administration to force you to take on the debts of your parents that are more worthy of civil disobedience than Clive and Bundy specifically. And 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 I'll I'll also weigh in. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what Charles has to say, as I usually do. He's a very smart guy, and the rule of law is important, but it's not everything. And there is a role for civil disobedience, and civil disobedience is often the only way to um, to, to to fight for justice when the legislative process fails you, as it often does. And I agree with Will. That uh, that Kevin ignores, I think that that Cliven Bundy is not is not a great example. In right, fact, but in my in my opinion, I yeah. think that everyone across America has the same hostile feelings of getting run over by the government. Yeah, sees an opportunity of a national exposure to go there and stand with someone they feel is being as wrongly, unjustly treated as an American citizen as they are. So it's a place to congregate and show. That, hey, look, we're tired of Americans and being treated like this. But, AJ, yeah. let me ask you this. If if that barometer then, it's a little bit like saying the congregation of the mob, the congregation of like-minded individuals gives it justice. It divorces it from the actual principle, the actual cause. And well, what did they do wrong, though? See, con- people, people congregating is not illegal. No, 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 no. Well, what I'm saying is we're trying to figure out what not – we're trying to figure out what not – Bundy's cause is worthy of civil disobedience, right? We're trying to figure out whether or not Bundy's cause is worthy of all of our, in the end, support of civil disobedience. But, okay, but we can settle that by law, too, because the biggest rule of thumb in real estate or land law is the state dictates or the state has the right to decide who gets that. In this case, the federal government did that. How did that happen? Well, right. I mean, Bundy is suggesting that he'll follow state laws, but not federal laws. And Well, that's because the state law is the one that is supposed to make the decision in land. All understood. I don't think we're arguing about any of those things, AJ. I think okay. I think I think you're absolutely right that in people uh, making a symbol of Bundy and congregating around this, it's bigger than Bundy. They don't just think Bundy's a cool dude. They they really this are frustrated. Wait till the next thing happens. Then right. People, this is the turning point. Well, well they're frustrated the and they think point. that Bundy is a symbol and something to rally around. And we don't disagree. I just think that that maybe rallying so forcefully behind Bundy might, in the end, discredit some of 
are very good arguments uh, for civil disobedience and against encroaching government. I, I don't know that he's if we jump a perfect symbol. Instead of looking at the, the, the common sense of it. The bottom line is, God, no, I don't even know how old he is. He's, he's obviously not a young man. When and if he passes away, God forbid, if the court did the injunction in the state. Well, there's no, there's no if. He will. <laughs> well, right, right. Well, I just didn't want to be ignorant or rude. Or, sure, so sure. When, whenever he does pass away, God forbid, the state would be ordered by the federal government to see that land in a calm, quiet way, not show of force. They need it now. That's why they want to do it that way. Well, we all agreed that the show of force was... Um, that was the problem, though. That was overkill. all the Americans out. Well, no, the problem was that he was breaking the law. And then the second problem was that the government, I think, overreacted. The government okay, absolutely overreacted, and I get the passion around Bundy against that overreaction. Because you have people that are crossing the borders and no one cares about, and now you're telling the cattle they're illegally trespassing? Come on, that doesn't work in that environment. All those people there have been through this for the last 20 or 30 years of illegal immigration. And now you're telling them their cattle are illegal? Come on. No, we that get it. We, I mean, this is why we made those arguments about immigration. That's why American people are, are doing whatever they can. They're sick of it. Come on. We can barely afford to make it anymore. The bottom line is in 1970, the average person made $7,200 a year, $6,800 a year, and gold was $35 an ounce. The same equation today, you have to make like $300,000 a year to live like a postal worker, a fireman. That is not the way of America anymore. And the government, is this is their way of saying we have to get all the resources. The only thing we have of value is our resources. That's why they own all that land out there. Yeah, but AJ, let me just tell you that if Clive Bundy is allowed to keep his cattle and not pay these taxes or these fees... All of those problems will not be resolved. Those problems will still exist. True, but doesn't that problem go back to 91 to 93 when he was paying his grazing fees? And then they basically ran everyone else off of that land to ranch. And what they did, was well, he was the last one standing, so they needed to make him get off and do it in a show of force so that way the other people's land that they need to get can see and understand this is what it's going to be like. Do you know what I think, and, AJ? Yes. I think if we I went to Twitter... I think if we Go went to Twitter off. right now, you would win America, American Pundit. Yeah, maybe AJ is the next American Pundit. It's I think not, you would I'm just, probably I'm no win. no different than everyone else that feels the same. I just happen to get on the radio. That's no, thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for appreciate calling Appreciate you sharing buddy. your opinion. I, f- I appreciate you sending SE slash Charles home, keeping me I'm around. I'm not going to hold that against you. For another round of American Pundit. Appreciate it, AJ. All right, there it is. Yeah, I think. I, first edition first of American edition. Pundit went way longer than we thought it would. But that's because it was it was great. And we had to wait for me to win. We had to wait for you to win. It will be the, the first and last. Maybe in, next time we can have actual pundits on. <laughs> in 1984, <laughs> Doug Flutie dropped back to pass about the 50-yard line and heaved a pass all the way downfield to be caught in a game-winning touchdown over the University of Miami, Boston College over the University of Miami. Did he know at that point he was creating what would soon be called the Flutie effect? What is the Flutie effect when we come back on Kane and Cup? You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.
wide receivers out to the right. Flutie flushed. Throws it down. Caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. It's a touchdown. (laughs) That is Doug Flutie completing a Hail Mary pass in the 1984 bowl game against the University of Miami. Boston College won on that last-minute Hail Mary. Big day. Big day. Big play in college football history. Big for Doug Flutie, man. It was the catalyst, not only for Doug Flutie's professional career, but for something called the Flutie effect. Following that play, following that game, admissions, applications for Boston College University went up 16% in 1985, 17% in 1986, and continued to go up for several years. This became known as the Flutie effect, and it has happened at numerous colleges since then. George Mason University in 2006 went to the NCAA Final Four. Hmm. Their applications went up drastically following that. Boise State, the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, Statue of Liberty play against Oklahoma, online inquiries went up 135%. we got something new. In Colorado, after the passage of marijuana laws, applications to Colorado colleges have gone up 30%. Wow. So it's not just sports. Now not it's just weed. sports. Weed. That's crazy, man. Does gun control buy you a ticket to heaven when we come back on Canyon Cup? 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Well, what are you going to do with all that money? Actually, I was thinking of donating a large portion of it to charity. Really? No. (laughs) Well, you should, Jerry. No, to tell you the truth, I was thinking of buying my father a new car. Now, you see, that's nice. Yeah, maybe a Cadillac. Cadillac, ooh la la. Yeah. That would really blow his mind. He's always wanted one his whole life. He's never been able to afford it. I'm going to do it. You're going to score some big points with the man upstairs on this one. Oh, isn't that what it's all about? (laughs) (laughs) That is what it's all about. Scoring points with the man upstairs. Scoring points with the man upstairs. Uh, That's definitely what Michael Bloomberg seems to think. That's what it's all about. We'll get to that in a second, but um, you you might have been wondering in the months since Michael Bloomberg left the mayor's office in New York City, what's that guy been up to? What's he been doing with all his time? Has he been shopping? Has he been playing golf? Traveling? Maybe he went on one of those cruises. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he went, went on a family vacation, you know, out to Wally World. <laughs> What's he been doing? What does a billionaire do in his time off? Yeah. Well, I know what he's been doing. He has been planning basically a takeover mm. of the NRA. Some people go play golf. Some people retire to Boca. Del Boca Vista. Some people plan a hostile takeover of a very influential special interest group. Bloomberg announces he plans to spend fifty million, which is change, change for this guy. 50 and he million. said as much. And he said as and much. He, and he indicated yeah. as much. I, I get fifty million here, fifty million there. I gave it to the oceans. He said I gave it to this. The oceans. He said that was literal. I I know, and the oceans are grateful. <laughs> The oceans. The ocean called. (laughs) 
another Seinfeld reference. Uh, I got I got a million. I got a million. Plans a $50 million challenge to the NRA. Uh, as you know, as you know, Michael Bloomberg has tried to work his magic on gun control. And, and by work his magic, I mean spend money. Mm. Spend money to uh, overcome the gun rights groups. And, and not very successfully. But that's not stopping him. That is not stopping him. He says, quote, this is from the New York Times, an interview he did. We've got to make them afraid of us. Um, as a, as a gun rights advocate myself, a gun owner myself, someone who's pretty familiar with these, uh, these arguments and the, the goings on, the daily goings on of, of these kinds of things. Let me tell you, let me tell you, Michael Bloomberg, if you're listening and I know he is, I know he is. I just got nervous. No one's afraid of you. No one is afraid of you. Mr. Bloomberg, let me tell you, if I know my friends at the NRA, and I think I do, and I think I do, when they heard this news, they high-fived. Because you, Mr. Bloomberg, are quite possibly the worst, and by that I mean the best, (laughs) face of gun control that the NRA and gun rights advocates around the country could ever hope for. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. First of all, your success on these issues is um, immeasurable. And by that, I mean you have none. It can't be measured. (laughs) It can't be measured. You have no legislative success. Nothing's changed in Congress. In fact, your effort, Mayors Against Illegal Guns, has basically dissolved in embarrassment because you tricked so many mayors into joining your group because they thought, well, hey, I'm against illegal guns. And then they realized, no, this is a gun control group that is looking to take away law-abiding owners' gun rights. What? And they dropped out. What more evidence do you need, by the way, to that point than the fact that the stated purpose is to rival the NRA, which is an organization for... Legal law abiding gun owners. Well, that's my other point. Why go after the NRA? The NRA represents law abiding citizens, not criminals, not even gun manufacturers. That's the NSSF. So no one at the NRA is responsible for the stuff that you probably and I probably find abhorrent, which is gun crime in cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York. Yeah, New York where you banned guns, and the occasional one-off mass shooting that we all, we all uh, find atrocious and tragic. But let me tell you, no one at the NRA and law-abiding gun owners all over this country, including myself and Will Kane, are responsible for any of that. So your target is misplaced. Back to Mayors Against Illegal Guns, though. I mean, OMG. Let me give you an example of how disorganized and embarrassing this group effort was. There's a MAG meeting in New Hampshire, and they're rattling off a list of names of victims of illegal gun crime. Included in that list, the Sarnayev brothers. Mm. The Mm. Sarnayev Mm. brothers, Mm. right? Behind the Boston bombing. Correct. Let me just point out for you, once our Nayev brother was killed by a policeman, I doubt that was an illegal gun. 
Right. The other um, is alive. Is alive. Is alive and was also shot by a policeman. By the way, I think that um, the elder Tsarnaev was also run over by his brother in a car. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how embarrassing this group was. And the results are that a number of mayors have run away from this group. Democrats have run away from Michael Bloomberg's efforts on gun control. While his purpose is so incredibly flawed, while his goal is so incredibly flawed, I have to say it's only outdone by his strategy. On on the surface, it looks like a good strategy. We want to copy the model of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That's what Bloomberg has stated. We want to increase grassroots intensity. Our focus will stop being Washington, D.C. Our focus will stop being congressional leaders passing gun control laws. Our because focus that failed. Because it, it failed. Miserably. Right. Our focus now will be to create intensity for those who want more gun control. The problem is, and forgive me, I can't come up with a perfect analogy. That's like saying we're going to make people care about an issue that is inherently something people do not care about. No, 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 no. You don't need an analogy. Mothers Against Illegal Drunk Driving is perfect. As, as, as great an effort as that was, it has not stopped drunk driving, mm. nor does it turn women out to vote specifically on that single issue. And that's the goal. The goal is to make gun control an issue for women, specifically women and mothers, in the same way that abortion or health care has become driving issues for them at the ballot box. Yeah, let me tell you, that's not going to work. Women will never vote for gun control as a single issue. They might they might vote for gun rights, but not gun control. There just isn't that kind of passion. Two, I think we all remember what happens when male politicians try to tell women how to defend themselves. It doesn't always work very well. Well, can I say this, though? Um, I don't know how to explain this to you, but there's something about Michael Bloomberg that I begin to like. Set aside his cause, set aside his principles, set aside all of those important things. Mm -hmm. You said he's a bad symbol. He's a poor symbol. Or No, he's the the best face. He (laughs) is the best face of this. To have a New York City big gulp banning mayor going into Texas. Billionaire. Billionaire going into Texas (laughs) and Montana to convince them that guns are bad. Let's also point out he's really short. He's really short, too. But here's where I kind of start to like him, because when confronted with that, and he was, in this New York Times piece where he announced this program, he said, what are you talking about? I don't know. When I walk around, people roll down their windows and tell me I'm a rock star. They love me. And I kind of like that about you, Mayor Bloomberg. Did you think that? Do you think they love him in Texas? By the way, his efforts are going to Texas. Texas! Right. Good luck with that. Uh, But let's get to the fun stuff, shall we? Yes. Because at the end of this interview, Mayor Bloomberg gave us a gift. It's a real gift. I mean, all of this leading up to it was a gift as well, for sure. I mean, a huge gift to gun rights advocates all over the country. Thank you, Mayor Bloomberg. But the real gift came at the end where he said, and I'll just read the quote and then we can have some fun with it. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, quote, I am telling you if there is a God, when I get to heaven... I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. I could, (laughs) I mean, I could do a a two-hour psychoanalysis of that, and I I still wouldn't have enough time. Well, you played Seinfeld at the beginning. Of course, the man upstairs is 
keeping a list. What it's all about. Checking it twice. Let's just let's just go through some of the assumptions that Michael Bloomberg makes in this quote. For for one, I thought it was fascinating. He thinks there's an interview process. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, of course he does. That's not surprising. He probably he's a business guy. He probably thinks it's like the Goldman Sachs interviews where there's like multiple rounds. You've got to guess how many pianos there are in New York City. You've got to like go out to dinner once and show that you can be like socially, you know, well, okay. Okay. There is a pearly gate. <laughs> there is St. Peter. No, no. But it's not just a guy with a list. It's not just like Santa Claus with like a list of good people and bad. There's an interview. He says, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. You and I will. We might have to go through the interview process, but not him. The funny part is like like, uh, like God hasn't been keeping up, right? Uh, <laughs> He's too introduce busy. yourself to me. <laughs> Show me your resume. <laughs> what are your weaknesses? What have you been doing for the past 80 years? <laughs> well, God, I'm... My my biggest weakness, I would say, is that I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. <laughs> I also like how he thinks that there's like um, there's a gradation, like you can be close to getting into heaven but still not get in, or you can be um, you can be on the brink and they'll kind of just wave you through. For him, it's not even close. He is 100 percent in. Oh, it's the mayor. Mayor, open the doors, please. Please, Just come on through, mayor. Ignore the interview process. No, it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't have to wait in line. He's with me. Yeah. He's with me. Just let him in. Lift up the velvet rope. It's not even close. Can I tell you something? It's amazing. I find it a little endearing, Essie. Now, you know I've adopted this principle that if you carry your deviance, if you carry your quirkiness, if you carry your little odd part of your personality out to such a degree... To such an absurdity, yeah. you become endearing. I don't know. I It's like you become somebody in one of my favorite movies. You become a character in a Wes Anderson movie, in a, in a Coen Brothers movie, and I begin to like you, and Mayor Bloomberg suggesting that he gets ushered in past the velvet rope, past the long line. <laughs> no interview necessary. <laughs> no interview necessary. And he said it with sincerity. Yeah. Makes me go... I kind of want to buy you a beer. Yeah, it's kind of like it's the Gary Busey effect, right? Yes, like, yes. First, you're like, oh, this guy's crazy, and I don't want to be near him, and I, I don't even want to watch his movies anymore. But the more he goes whole hog into his persona and character, you're like, that dude is hilarious. That dude is awesome. Because I think he's serious. Because it's now, real. Now, here's the question. <laughs> when we come back from our break, we need to set up a game of bros. Again. That's right, game of bros. We got another guy. Is he serious? That's the question for our game of bros. Bigfoot, Major League Baseball, are they serious on Game of Bros when we come back? This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Essie Cup. And I'm Will Kane. So we're gonna do another game of bros because y'all liked it so much last time. I don't blame you. It was really fun. But before we get to the game of bros, let me let me do some setup for y'all. Will, have you heard of a guy named Turk Wendell? I have not. 
Turk Wendell was a pitcher for the Mets in the 90s, and he was a really colorful character. All right. He used to wear a necklace. Any Met fan remembers Turk Wendell because he was he was he was kind of crazy. He used to wear a necklace of teeth. Some were sharks, some were bears. Um and he is like to a person considered the most superstitious guy in all of Major League Baseball. Okay. He would leap over the foul line. He would chew black licorice every inning. He would brush his teeth in between innings. I like this guy. Oh, he he was amazing. He was amazing. He was one of my all-time favorite Mets players. Not because he was all that good, but because he was so interesting and crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. Did you know uh, Ryan Newman, the NASCAR driver? Ryan Newman thinks the moon landing was fake. Hmm. I'm not judging. I just think that's fascinating. (laughs) Ryan Newman went to college. Ryan Newman's a smart guy. Sorry, Ryan, if you're listening. Um, I like Ryan Newman a lot. I'm not sure what she's trying to say. He was he was on on my team at one point. But Ryan's great. He believes the moon landing is a fake. What I'm trying to say is even the most successful smart people are not immune to fun conspiracy theories. What you're saying is we assign a certain level of normalcy yes. to famous people. Well, we do. Exactly. and Maybe to- even more to athletes, and we, ex- we we provide exceptions for maybe some quirky actors and yes. so forth. But come on. You're driving a NASCAR car. That's right. That's right. Surely you're normal. Surely you're normal. You're a major league pitcher. Surely you're normal. Well, I've got another one. Dustin Pedroia of the Red Sox apparently, apparently, believes in Bigfoot. Now, I don't mean... Believes in Bigfoot the way I believe in Bigfoot. And if you're familiar with my Squatch Watches on Real News, you know I'm a big Bigfoot fan. <laughs> big fan. He's not a fa- I mean, he he goes on annual hunts. <laughs> no, like if no, they no, don't, no. Yes. If they don't go to the World Series, he starts early on his season of Squatch Hunts. No joke. No joke. Just to um, reiterate my position and tie this together with my Bloomberg opinion, I believe if you're going to believe in Sasquatch, you might as well go all the way. There's no use in sitting on your couch at home going, yeah, I think there probably is a Sasquatch. If you're going to believe, you should go hunt that SOB. Go get him. Well, here's Pedroia. I went up to the Redwoods when I was a kid. My dad wanted to show me when you drive through the Redwood and they had a big like Sasquatch museum deal. Apparently, his fascination with Sasquatch is well-documented. He received a Bigfoot cake for his 30th birthday last season. You know what? I can beat that. Because two Christmases ago, my brother gave me a genuine, and I use that word in quotes, genuine, um, cast of a Bigfoot footprint from the Bigfoot Society. Mm. Genuine. 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 I once, uh, on, on my... The show I used to have on MSNBC, I had Bobo on. He is the Bigfoot hunter from Finding Bigfoot, which I have to warn our viewers, our listeners, is incorrectly named. They don't find Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> it should be it should be looking for Bigfoot. We're going to look real hard for Bigfoot. It's not Finding Bigfoot. They don't find Bigfoot. Let us remind you that your hunter is not named Dr. Simpson or Mr. Thoreau. It no, it's is Bobo. Bobo. <laughs> Bobo. <laughs> And Bobo routinely, Bobo's main job is that Bobo's really tall and hairy. And so when they are trying to reenact f- 
photos that people have of Bigfoot sightings, he stands in for Bigfoot. Of course he does. Bobo. <laughs> Bobo has perfected the Squatch call. He's really good at calling for Sasquatch. So he does it all the me, time on his show. You're telling me Dustin Pedroia genuinely believes in Bigfoot, and you distinguish that from your own facetious belief in Bigfoot? You don't believe in Bigfoot? Um... Okay, if we're being real here, are we being, am I letting down, am I letting down the veil we're being real here? I always like to be real. I don't believe in Bigfoot. Oh but my I really, gosh! But I really want to. My fascination is not completely fake. I really want to believe in Bigfoot. Everything feels counterfeit. Nothing is real all of a sudden. Who are you? <laughs> I really, I really do want to believe, but I'm sorry when you walk into the woods and you say, this looks squatchy, that's not evidence for me. <laughs> I'm not convinced. When you look at berries and say, that's what Sasquatch likes to eat, that's not evidence for me. That's conjecture. And while I admire your passion, Bobo, I need a little more. I'm going to need a little more. I'm more fascinated by the people who believe in Bigfoot. So here's the question. Is Dustin Pedroia like you? Is he counterfeit? Yeah, right. Or is he real? Does he really right. believe in Bigfoot? We're going to put it to our bros. Game of bros is Dustin Pedroia for real. We're faking it. On Kane and Cup. When we come back. This is Kane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Will Kane at Will Kane. She's Essie Cup at Essie Cup. Give us a call 888-900-3393. Is Dustin Pedroia for real? Does he really believe in Bigfoot or like Essie Cup? Is he a counterfeit? Mm. Is he a fraud? Mm -hmm. Has he been pulling one over on all of us for all this time? There's only one way to find out. And I think we need to play a game of bros. Indeed. Indeed, there's only one way to settle this, obviously. It's Game of Bros. Um, you know, he seems into it, but it also seems like he could be playing a massive prank on all of us. Okay. And I've pulled some great clips of Dustin Pedroia talking about his love of Bigfoot. These are all from an interview on WEI in Boston with Rob Bradford uh, earlier this year, and they are spectacular. They are spectacular. And they leave some ambivalence. So we need our game of bros. We need our bros to determine whether Dustin Pedroia is real or faking it. Let's bring in our bros. Bros, we'll start with uh, you on the right. Let's have you introduce yourself. What's your first name? My name is Brian. Brian, do you believe in Sasquatch? I do not. Okay, bro number one, not a believer. Uh, Bro number two, introduce yourself. Hello, I am Steve, and I'm also... Not a believer. But Steve, 
are you a bro? Hmm. We just met today, Steve. And Let me check. Yeah, yes, I am a bro. You are. Mm-hmm. I'm just sizing you up a little bit, and I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know if Steve's a bro. What are you wow, trying to I say? I feel like the game's going in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why are you putting Steve on the hot? Ouch. On the hot seat. I don't know that I'm not necessarily complimenting Steve. All right. Well, is a- it a good thing to be a bro? We haven't yet decided that. That maybe next week on Game of Bros. Yeah, we can have a bro off a little later, but but <laughs> meantime. Bro number three, I'm not going to qu- call your brohood, brohood into question. Bro number three, what's your name? I'm John. John, if Sasquatch is real, is he a bro? Uh, from what I understand, he smells bad, so I have yeah. to say no. Oh, you you know or different d- bros than I do. No, he's suggesting, <laughs> I mean, I clearly bros got the axe layered on. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Wouldn't be rolling around stanking. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play three different clips after each one. I want you to tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 if Dustin Pedroia is real or faking it. 10 is he's a true believer. 1, he's faking it. This is a massive joke. After each one, you're going to tell me what your number is. We're all, all going to start at 5 because nobody knows. We're going to start neutral. Okay, play the first clip. Why do you actually think that these things exist? What do you mean, why? Well, what proof do you have? What do you mean, what proof do I have? <laughs> I don't know how do else to... Do, do, you, do you have Google? Yes. <laughs> I, have the, I have the Google. Google some things. Okay. okay. This isn't like a made-up creature that's like 20 feet tall. Okay, this isn't, this isn't a movie. Okay, Rob? This is real life, man. They're out there. Okay. <laughs> I love his passion. First of all, before we bring in the bros, I want to yeah. say he could win, American Pundit. Yeah. You reject the question. What do you mean? Is he Look real? it up. And it's then not you my job to Google, prove it. <laughs> and you reference Google and say, this is not a movie. This is real. <laughs> okay, bro number one, where are you? Is he real or faking it? Give me a number. Seven. You think he's real? Uh, Closer to real than faking it. Th- there's some, there's some you know, uh, passionate energy there, but at the same time, it's a bit vague. So I have to go with a seven. Okay, that's fair. Vague, that's yes. fair. Bro number two, Steve, where are you? I'm disagreeing with Brian. I'm going to go with the two. I Sounds think like he's faking. He's too defensive and way too much product placement. <laughs> I like it, Steve. I like it. You're you're broing up, man. All right, bro number three. He's he's it's a prank. He's not he's not serious at all. That's okay, one. what's your number? I'll say one. Wow. Okay, wow. not right. a lot of faith in, in Dustin Pedroia so far. Okay. Well, I'm a Yankee fan, so. Uh, Brian is the only one that is <laughs> sensing sincerity. Brian's let's, a bro. Let's play a second clip. Yeah, let's go to the next one. I went up to the Redwoods when I was a kid. You know, my dad wanted me to show, show you know, when you drive through the Redwood tree and all that all that stuff. And, and they had a big, like, I don't even know, like a museum deal. They got photos. They got... They got all kinds of stuff, man. So I've been on a search, man. Hmm. Hmm. Now that sounded kind of sincere. Can yeah. I say something? And, about- and he gives context, which always helps. Let me bring this up. In Roswell, New Mexico, don't they have the same thing? Yeah, with the, the aliens. Museum? Yeah. Well, to quote Dustin Pedroia, it's a museum deal. It becomes a tourist attraction, correct. Bro number one, yeah. Brian, you, you were moving in the direction of sincerity. You voted a seven last time. What say you now? Now I say six. Hmm. Um, still a bit vague, and that trend is continuing. Hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'm losing my my belief in his belief. <laughs> wow. Okay, and bro number two. I'm going to go with uh, 
Man, I'm going to go with a four now, man. Mm. Oh. Just struggling a little bit too much, man. I think he's trying to put on some bro, <laughs> some bro affect for you, Will. Bro number three, John. I actually think he sounds more sincere and <laughs> I don't necessarily believe him, but I think he's more sincere in this Okay. I agree. So I'm going to say four also. Yeah. I agree. He's moving in the direction of sincerity. The only hole in his game on that clip was he said, and stuff. You know, they but, got but red, went your, up there to the Redwoods and, and stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but bringing your dad in, that's money. Yeah. That's That humanizes it. Okay, we got a final clip. Play that one. Some guy said he shot one. Oh, wait, 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 wait. First of all, there's, there's a couple things wrong with that. Number one is that if he shot one... Yeah, he was- where is it? And number two, is it, that would be, uh, I would imagine that's an endangered species. Well, no, because you think it doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. So, all right, it comes back to my first point. If he shot one. So, why, so I, don't, I, I don't have time to argue with you, but how come in 1980, Washington had a Bigfoot on their state, like, deal? You know, how, you know, welcome to, you know, California, and they got, like, this, you know, the the yellow flower thing, or, or welcome to the sunshine state, or, or or whatever. Yeah, they had a picture of some Bigfoot on there. How come they had that, Rob? Because the Harry and the Hendersons just came out. Wasn't filmed in Washington, was it? <laughs> yeah, it sure was. Seattle, was Seattle. Why don't watch Harry and the Hendersons, Rob? I'm just telling you. <laughs> Okay. All right, I believe you. I believe you. Okay, we can talk about this on another time because I actually go live my life. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, that's fair. But we'll continue this Bigfoot talk later because I got a lot, of, lot of deals about Bigfoot that's real. <laughs> a lot of deals. <laughs> got to go live my life, which is awesome. He's a definite bro. Whether or not he's being real or not, he's a bro. Oh, which he has we, to go live his life, which is do, awesome. We don't have to do a game of bros to settle whether Dustin Pedroia is a bro. He's a bro. All right, final retally. Bro number one, sincere, 10, or fraud, one. Moving up to eight, but it's a very strict eight. Wow. Okay, so eight is, is pretty you, – you think he's being sincere. serious. Yeah. I do. I mean, I, I don't think otherwise. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's really not worth his time to even be discussing this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, you're taking other factors in. I don't have time to lose this argument, okay? <laughs> Why well, did watch Harry and the Hendersons, okay? Bro, right, number two. bro number two. Yeah, along the same lines, just for the passion, I'll give him a seven. You guys are moving towards sincerity. Although, uh, I, I noticed he said some Bigfoot, not the Bigfoot, so he's starting to slip. Oh, oh, good catch, bro number two. Bro number three. I don't believe him at all. I say one. Wow. <laughs> he's a... Uh, He's bailing out. Yeah, he's, he's he, like, I, I, I can't talk about this. And I heard you, you got smi- me. And I can't. Talk you could about hear it. the smile on his face in the last thirty seconds. I think all three. You can hear the smile on his face. Yeah. He's, he's putting them on. So we got an eight, a seven, and a one. That's the, pretty mixed. The bros. No, I mean, I think it's clear. The bros, by a margin of two to one, have voted that Dustin Pedroia is sincere. He's into it. He's a bro, and he's a sincere believer in Bigfoot. For what it's worth, I think he's faking. I think he's a fraud as well. Google some things, Will. Google, Google some things. <laughs> I don't have time for this argument. I don't have time for this, all right? <laughs> all right. Well, that was another successful game of bros. Thank you to our bros. You're welcome. We will have you come in to decide other stuff in the near future. We appreciate you playing. Coming up next, uh, have little dogs replaced children? What? That's next on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Ow.
generation of talk radio Kane and cup is on well this is big uh this is a hard right turn from game of bros we're gonna ask if women have replaced kids with small dogs now before we get to that to help us answer it um author lisa de pasquale she has a new book out she's she's a, a columnist at, at town hall you may know and she served previously as the director of cpac um lisa welcome Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Your new book is called Finding Mr. Righteous. It examines dating, politics, and faith. Um, Tell me about it. Uh, Well, basically, it's all the things you're not supposed to talk about, exes, politics, and sex. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what I do is I I sort of tell my story of my religious journey um, through some of the guys that I've dated who have been, you know, different religions, an atheist, a Catholic, um, a Muslim, um, an evangelical, a Quaker, and I just sort of use that as a way to, to tell the story, and a lot of the underlining things are, you know, dating in the conservative movement, you know, some backstory stuff about CPAC and, and GoProud drama, um, and like I said, my my own religious journey. You know, the whole time I was at CPAC, I was an atheist, and, and you know, that was sort of interesting, especially given all the, the drama that came from, um, you know, social conservatives and, and GoProud. Lisa, this is Will. Let me just ask you, because I'm, I'm just writing this down. You dated... Uh, uh, give me the list again. A Muslim? Did you <laughs> all say of them. A, a she stated all, of, all them. of them. I know Mormons, though. I'm, I'm still looking for a Mormon. Well, Lisa, are, are, are any of these exes, I know some of these exes are in D.C., are any of them people we might know? Um, yeah, a couple of them are, are people that you might know. Tell me. Um, I'm sorry? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Oh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get one in trouble. And you know, I think I'm probably the most exposed in the book. I'm the only one that uses my real name. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I understand why you do that. Okay. Well, you 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 make an argument um, that feminism has really sort of turned turned um, the goal the goal of of women the uh, the the desires of women around, and that we no longer really want to have kids or we're delaying having kids and actually the evidence kind of proves that more and more u.s women are forgoing motherhood and getting their maternal kicks by owning small dogs data from the centers for disease control and prevention show that a big drop in the number of babies born to women ages 15 to 29 corresponds with a huge increase in the number of tiny pooches how do you explain that well, you know, I think there are two ways to look at it. I mean, one might be, you know, in this current me generation that sort of shirks responsibility and they're on their, you know, parents' health insurance until age 26. You know, maybe it's good that they start off with a dog before, you know, having a human being. But on the other, I think it's, you know, women naturally still have this, you know, feeling of wanting to nurture something and take care of something. And, you know, maybe they haven't found the right guy um, and they want to channel that energy into something else, you know, like dressing up a little toy poodle or something. So do you think this is a dangerous trend? Um, well, I think it, it could be dangerous if if women, um, you know, look to, you know, other things, whether it's, you know, hobbies or a dog or something else to replace, like, real human relationships. Then I think, you know, then we're talking about, 
um, you know, dangerous territory, just like I think we see a lot of men that are replacing, you know, friendships and, and relationships with, you know, video games and, and fantasy football. Um, you know, I think anything that distracts from, you know, maintaining real relationships, whether it's real friendships or, or real romantic relationships, uh, you know, probably isn't good for, you know, the overall uh, future. <laughs> you know, Lisa, I've, I, uh, I, th- I think you're on to something. I think I might disagree with your conclusion, though. I've certainly noticed this trend towards, um, I, I don't know if it's just women, but couples adopting dogs long before they have children, uh, often, by the way, just a year or two before they have children, and then that dog is the most lonely being on earth once the first child comes. <laughs> Forgotten and discarded. Um, but I think a dog is actually good training for parenthood. Mm-hmm. I had a dog for 10 years before I ever had my first child, and the truth is, disciplining a dog and disciplining a child are not or should not be so different. And the same people that make mistakes with their dogs make the same mistakes with their children. Lack of discipline in both areas. Let one run you with the other. So I think it could be good training. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to go around dressing your dog up in little outfits. <laughs> but it might be good training. Oh, no, I think it, I think you're right. It's definitely good training, particularly for... Um, you know, a couple, I think what the, the New York Post article was talking about, and, and the women they interviewed were, you know, particularly vapid in that, you know, they did treat their dogs like children and dress them up and insist on taking them everywhere. Um, and, you know, I think for, for those types, people that are, you know, sort of giving up on, okay, I'm 35 and I'm not going to have children, so I'm going to put all my energy into having a relationship and a friendship with a dog. Um, and, you know, I should point out, I devote an entire section of my book to my dog, Buster. Um, so I am definitely a dog lover. Um, I just have some concern if, if you know, some women are replacing, mm-hmm. um, you know, real relationships with people, um, you know, with or with having a sure. child with a dog. Well, real quickly, we got a call from Jonathan in Tennessee. What do you have to say? Is, is uh, You have something to say to Lisa about this? Uh, it was just a, a quick personal story. I, I used to have a, a girlfriend. We're no longer together. But um, this was one of the catalysts that led to, you know, obviously problems in the relationship. She had five small dogs. Oh, boy. Yeah. And um, she didn't have a job. Oh, boy. And we were... Uh, stuck in a crummy little apartment in Miami, oh and I was having to pay for everything at the time, and, you know, that was okay, but mm. I was also uh, very, very sick, and I actually still am with uh, Lyme disease, and the the cost for the antibiotics was... Oh, uh, oh wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. Jonathan, the Lyme disease, and then we got to go to break. It's bad timing here, man. Real bad. Yeah, th- that's terrible. Lisa, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Good luck. With the book, it's Finding Mr. Righteous. Stay You're tuned. More Kane and Cup. Cop. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm SC Cup. And I'm Will Kane. Um, the affirmative action debate, Will, is not a new one. We've been having it a long time. The Supreme Court is still having it. They'll decide on an affirmative action case, a big case, later this year, right? A couple Late, months? Later this month. In June, at the this latest, month. they will decide whether or not a state can outlaw the use of racial preferences. Essentially, outlaw affirmative action. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're... You know, you follow politics at all. Like I said, it's it's not a new debate. However, 
There are always new wrinkles, it seems, uh, added on to that debate and new things to think about. Um, For instance, let me submit evidence number one. (laughs) Uh, Western Washington University recently sent a questionnaire to students asking them for advice on how the administration could make sure that in future years, quote, we are not as white as we are today. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. The president of this university said his explicit goal is to reduce the white population on campus. Here's a quote. I've said before and I'll say it again. We as a faculty and staff and student body as an administration, if we 10 years from now are as white as we are today, we will have failed as a university. His name is Bruce Shepard. He's president of Western Washington University. He said that in a 2012 address. So he's not he's not hiding this. No, of course he's not. No, I, and I'm sure plenty of uh, people will give him will give him cover and stand behind him and say that a college population should reflect the diversity of the national population. Um. That is kind of an example of the usual stuff we talk about when we talk about affirmative action. Let me give you evidence, too. Let me give you another weird, quirky thing that's happening a continent away. Okay. South Africa, the minister of sport, Fikile Ma- Malula. Congratulations. Fikile Malula uh, has decided that he will unleash a range of sanctions if South Africa's major national sports, cricket, rugby, and soccer, do not attain a goal of 60% black representational quota on their teams. 60% of the national teams in cricket, rugby, and soccer. Now, those are teams that in some cases play in in the Olympics. Affirmative action. Must be 60% black. Affirmative action for South Africa's national sports teams. Yeah, and look, I mean, South Africa's history, obviously, is very complicated. And clearly, this many years after apartheid, there are still some, there's still some unfinished business there. Absolutely. And some res, some, a, a residue of racial tension, or this wouldn't be an issue. So it's, it's hard for us to judge <clears throat> that cultural, you know, the, the layers and layers of cultural history underpinning what's going on over there right now but it's it's not hard on the other hand it's not on the other hand that sounds kind of absurd the absurdity of affirmative action in sports is not a difficult concept to judge and it is exactly that it is absurd let's do this let's bring in our friend the host of news one now on tv one roland martin morning roland hey what's happening hey buddy roland this is absurd right affirmative action This is absurd, correct? Affirmative action in sports. The sports teams of South Africa, rugby, cricket, and soccer must be 60% black. That's absurd, correct? Here are the questions that I, that I, would, have, I would want to know. I want to know this here because when you talk about uh, whether it's South Africa or even the United States, and also when you talk about history, also points to exclusion. So the beauty of sports, the beauty of sports is that typically uh, sports is – the most even-handed area because, guess what, in basketball, uh, the court is 94 feet long, the goals are 10 feet high, 
the rules are the same. Every, and so it really boils down to your ability. So here's the question I would have in South Africa. Are folks being excluded? Are they purposely being excluded? Are folks not being chosen? Do they have the talent to actually make it? But then are there coaches and administrators who are saying, nah, we're not going to include you at, please include you at all? You know, Ron, on the surface, I, it sounds crazy. Right. On the surface, you go, hmm. But the next question is, okay, so what is actually going on in a particular country? Are folks being denied access based upon uh, the issue of skin color. So, Roland, this surface, is a mistake that the, that the supporters of affirmative action always make. If the problem in a society is exclusion, if it is this false hurdle set up to keep a qualified person from entering the arena, the answer to that, the solution to that is not affirmative action. The solution to that is to pass anti-discrimination laws. It is to stop official discrimination. See, affirmative action is not the same thing as anti-discrimination. Affirmative action is to handicap the situation, to provide a playing field where the less qualified person gets a preference. No, no, see that's, and I think, and see, this is, this is what happens. It's very interesting. When you, when you, you've never heard, I, I've never heard in any conversation when we're talking about hiring where uh, that wonderful that wonderful phrase, less qualified, more qualified, well, that qualifiers used to describe somebody white. It's always in this particular context here. So it's but we not, could. So you're saying less qualified. It's not a question of you less qualified. See, again, you, you have to ask the, ask the next question, okay, what is the reason behind that? So, so for instance, if, if there are uh, black folks in South Africa who don't want to play cricket, Okay, so again, what's the reason behind it? But see, what you're saying here, and I understand your argument, you're rejecting the concept of qualifications. You're suggesting that the playing field is skewed because we set the standard, we being the majority group, whatever it is in whatever situation, set the standard for what the qualifications will be. Now, the point of sports, the purity of sports is the qualifications are clear, right? In sports, the qualifications are purely merit-based. Again, though. If you do, if you don't understand why the number is what it is, and again we're having a, we're having a a, a a a surface level conversation because if you don't know, I go back to my whole point. If you examine an issue, if you say, "Man, what's 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 going on here?" Uh, in terms of, I mean, let me just you talk about sports. If you say, "What what is the reason?" Like like with baseball, perfect example in America. How is it that here we are, 67 years after Jackie Robinson broke the Major League uh, color barrier, the number of black baseball players is, 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 is what it is? So, right, when just to put numbers like on that, 13% right. of the American population is black, right. only 8%. Eight, something like that. Only 8.5%. I'm curious, Roland, what, what do you think the explanation for that is? Do you think the explanation because, is discrimination? No, 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 no. Because I'm, so once you ask that question, you then go, okay, for baseball, not nine players with baseball. You look at a sport like basketball, it's a question of uh, five players. You can do three-on-three, two-on-two, whatever. With baseball, it's a question of space, land, uh, things along those lines. But, Roland, do you agree? Let, let, let me take a step back for a second. Do you agree that sports, professional sports, should be a meritocracy? I believe that in sports, the beauty of sports is that talent wins out. Right. Okay. And that's Great. the beauty of it. So you don't have these artificial judgments of 
less qualified, more qualified. Right, the question is, can you can you shoot, pass, dribble, throw, right. or whatever? As long as the subjective nonsense, which we saw over the years, a black person can't think, so therefore you can't play quarterback. Right. So, so you do. You believe that sports should be a meritocracy. I'm wondering if you believe that college education should also be a meritocracy. And I ask that because you brought up you brought up qualification. And there is so much research that shows that less qualified minorities are placed in colleges where they are basically set up to fail because they are not now, qualified to be there and then they're left behind. How is that doing now, a service? Now, 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 Go now, ahead. Here's a now here's the here's the issue when you talk when you begin to talk about education in this subject because now we begin to talk about not just to see we want to measure this idea of skill set when it comes to after you finish your twelfth grade year and you're going to college and then say oh let's all measure everyone the same but then are we asking the measurement question from kindergarten through twelfth grade because what we do know and I, and I understand what a university president I understand what he's saying what we do know is that the inequities that we have in our education system you will see those things at a certain period of time and so what happens is we want to question it then but then we don't necessarily want to question it from first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade all the way up because that's really where the issue there is. Well, right, and you're asking the right question, which is are we adequately preparing all kinds of people to have the same level of access and opportunity once they reach the college age? And, and that, to me, is a valid question and a different question than asking do our colleges reflect the diversity of our population, which seems completely arbitrary to me. Well, one of the reasons that one of the reasons our colleges don't necessarily reflect the population is because, again, what what took place the previous eighteen years, as opposed to that particular point. Look, I was at a, I was at a at an event in Dallas, Texas, where when when uh, when Bob Gates was the president of Texas A and M, and he was meeting with uh, it was one of our recruiting days for minority students, and there was this group of Black and Hispanic uh, uh, community leaders, and all of a sudden these folks were giving Bob Gates hell uh, about recruitment and things and, and numbers or whatever, and I finally stood up and I said, Dr. Gates, you're not going to answer that question. He looked at me like, what? I turned around and I said to Hollis Brashear, I said, Hollis, who in the hell are you to, to be demanding the answers of Dr. Gates when he's at the end of the education process, when you're the damn school board president? Hmm. I said, so if you are not churning the students out in the in Dallas Independent School District, I said, so what is your point here? whole room just got totally quiet because I was demanding a level of accountability, and that's part of the, part of the problem that we have. We don't want to own up to what happens between K, between K through 12. No, I agree, Roland. That's that. what we need to be talking about. But people like, um, like Bruce Shepard at Western Washington University are trying to fix that at the college level, and I think they're doing so, again, arbitrarily. I and mean, if the goal is – Yeah, and if the goal is – to reflect the general population, well, I think it's pretty great that we have all black colleges. I think it's pretty great well, that we have all girls Bruce. colleges. I think we should you know keep what? I, those. You know what? I, I, I kind of disagree. I, here's, here's, let's kick in, though. I always go back to what's the second question behind the statement. Mm. So if a university president stands up and makes that particular point, I wonder if, and again, I don't have the answer because we don't have we had an opportunity to ask them. Yeah. Here's what I would want to know from him. One is there 
a real recruitment effort on the part of the university when it comes to minority students. In terms of who are they reaching out to? Who are they trying to go after? Because I've heard, I've had other presidents come in and they go, man, I don't have a real recruiting effort here. I don't have any concerted effort to actually recruit minority students here. And so that could be the case as well. I, I don't believe that he's saying, oh, let's just bring in people who we think are going to actually fail. He might be saying, as a university, look, looking at the changing demographics, we better realize what's going on with the rest of America and realize that we're going to have to do better as well. So I don't know what he was facing, what he but was But isn't his job with. as the president of university to educate the people that are there? Say it again? Isn't his job as the president of a university to make sure that everyone who's there enrolled is well-educated? Actually, that's the job of the president of the university, especially if you're talking about a state university, is one, to educate the people who are there, but to also, two, prepare that university for how the world is changing. And I'll give you an example. If you go to West Virginia right now, there is a it's Bluefield, it's Bluefield College. Uh, you go to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, where Thurgood Marshall went. Those are two HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, that are actually now majority white. And what the folks at those two institutions had to do was they said the demographics are changing. They still have maintained their HBCU history, but the demographic change in those states dictated because of the access rules they had who they're going to educate. So those things actually happened. All right, so we're going to have to leave it here, Roland, but next time we're going to have a serious Ask a Black Guy, Ask a White Guy. You can, uh, you can tell me where you would draft me on your, uh, on your pickup basketball game. If uh, it was me and, and five black guys, would you draft me in the top five picks? You're going to be a free agent. <laughs> <laughs> now, if it's, a go- if, it's a golf force- if it's a golf foursome, where do you draft me? <laughs> uh, remember, I've been playing golf for 27 know, years, so you might be a free agent, too. <laughs> I'm a, I should be a free agent. That's a funny thing, Roland. I should be a free agent in golf. You should not pick remember, me. Remember, you're, you're a Texas Longhorn, so you're already operating at a deficit with this Aggie. And you need to come up with an Ask a White Guy. We got that for next time. All right, Roland? Okay, I got you. No problem. Right, Thanks, man. Roland. All right. When, when we come back, guess what? There's a famous Hollywood actor who's got a real burr under his saddle about an issue here oh, in New York City. I see what you did there. You did? You don't want to mess with Liam Neeson's when we come back on Kane & Cup. Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Kane and Cup returns now. Welcome back at Will Kane on Twitter at se Cup on Twitter. As one of his first acts, as newly in, uh, newly elected mayor of New York City, Bill De Blasio outlawed the horse and carriage industry here in New York. Around Central Park, there are old timey, I guess, carriages pulled by horses that you can. Pay to have you pulled around Central Park. It's very romantic. You've probably seen it in movies. It's an industry that's been around for hundreds of years, I think. Um, Bill de Blasio sees this as inhumane. This is not fair to the horses. This is wrong. And he wants to do away with it. This has drawn the ire of one Liam Neeson's. I can't. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know it's Liam Neeson. I can't say it. You, why do you keep saying Liam Neeson's? There's a wonderful skit on Comedy Central called Key and Peele, and they love Liam Neeson, and they say Liam Neeson's all the time, mm. and it'll get in your head, and it'll get stuck. Liam Neeson, <laughs> speaking of that, went on Comedy Central. He went on Jon Stewart's Daily Show, and he keeps bringing this up. Yeah, he's into it. Like, Jon Stewart's not asking him about it, and this has happened numerous times. Liam it's, Neeson keeps bringing this issue up. It's Listen. almost like Dustin Pedroia and Bigfoot. Yeah, like this, Liam Neeson is into this issue. This is his thing. Listen, Lee, he won't. He the won't horses. Even take, he won't even take a meeting with the horse carriage industry. This guy won't. He's he's supposed to be representing the the New York people. You're you're a. Uh, Damn you, it! Is this a job you've done? <laughs> have you been in that industry before? Or is uh, that- I I know a couple of the guys. Uh, I've been on the stables quite a few times eating. And, uh, <laughs> and Liam Neeson uh, also wrote an op-ed in the New York Times this week. What? Yes. He said, it has been my experience always that horses, much like humans, are at their happiest and healthiest when working. Horses have been pulling from the beginning of time. It is what they've been bred to do. He points out that 64% of New Yorkers want to and do defend and support the horse carriage guys in Central Park. Yeah, I mean, there's surprising resistance against Bill de Blasio. The New York Daily News, which is actually my paper, um, the, the paper I have a common, had an editorial this week that was scathing just to quote it briefly the self-righteousness is revolting self-righteousness of the animal rights uh, uh, groups they say rebuke it by joining the daily news save the horses campaign and signing our petition to mayor de blasio no one gets to do what these extremists are proposing no one gets to throw people out of lawful jobs in pursuit of a social goal no matter how brightly the aim burns with missionary zeal bill de blasio has drawn the ire of the New York Daily News. He's drawn the ire of Liam Neeson. He's also drawn the ire of the horse and carriage industry. Well, of course. Specifically, these guys standing out in Central Park ready to give you a ride. So what did Essie and I do? Well, we went and talked to those guys. Obviously. What do they think of Bill de Blasio? What do they think of Liam Neeson? Oh, that's important. That's what we want to talk about. That's what we're going to tell you about. That's what you're going to hear. When we come back on Cane and Cup. Listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. For a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. 
But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. So good. So good. You know, I recently saw Taken on a Plane. You saw it nonstop. Well, it's Taken on a Plane, but yeah, <laughs> I saw it. I saw it nonstop. Don't mess with Liam Neeson. When yeah, we, you don't. What are people going to learn? Stop messing with Liam Neeson's. Yeah, don't let the scar fool you. Bill you do not mess with Liam Neeson's. Bill DeBlasio is going to be the next to learn. That he's got a certain set of skills. That's right. And among them is writing op-eds in the New York Times, where this week Liam Neeson points out that these horses in Central Park, the horses that Bill de Blasio wants to put out of work, mm-hmm. work six-hour days, get five weeks of vacation. That sounds awesome. Liam Neeson writing the New York Times, taking on Bill de Blasio, says, in 30 years, only four horses have been killed in traffic accidents. Huh. Liam Neeson has it out for Bill de Blasio and his attack on the horse and carriage industry. So we decided to take it to the streets. Essie and I, this week, said, let's go ask the people in the crosshairs. Because we're diligent. (laughs) We are here for you to get the real answers. Did Liam Neeson go out there into the street? I don't know. Maybe he did. (laughs) I don't know. But But we did. So did we. (laughs) And this is what we asked the horse and carriage guys, starting with this. Let's play clip number 10. Who's your favorite actor? Leonardo. Leonardo DiCaprio. It's not Liam Neeson? No. Oh, come on, man. Oh, Liam Neeson is up for absolutely Liam Neeson. He is the best actor. Oh, okay. He's the, Why? Why I do mean, you like Liam Neeson so much? Because uh, I like, I like, come on, I like action <laughs> movies. So first of all, the horse and carriage guys could have been panelists in the Game of Bros. You didn't notice it at the time, and I don't know if you noticed it in the clip, but... Um, the peanut gallery on that interview, one of the other horse and carriage drivers, answers the question for the other one talking about you. Why Me? do you like Liam Neeson's? Yeah, because she's hot. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't heard the first time. He had to, to say it twice. Happy to help. <laughs> that, that horse and carriage driver had the nerve to say Leonardo DiCaprio, and he was attacked by the rest of them. Well, yeah. What did Leonardo DiCaprio ever do for horse and carriage drivers? Nothing. Right. Nothing. And was he in Taken on a Plane? No. Right. No, he wasn't. So what did they think about Bill de Blasio? Let's play clip number seven. What do you think about Bill de Blasio? Well, uh, I can't curse on this, right? <laughs> so, well, he's a, people understood that he's not a normal person. He's a kind of idiot. Because they, they, they got the votes because he's, a, he's white and he has a black wife and they, there was nobody else. And they just chose him because there was nobody else. Is a serious... There was know, Anthony kind of, Weiner. He wasn't very serious because he got that, you know, the tapes came out and he wasn't very serious. So he was the only very serious... I mean, candidate. So they, they, that's why they chose him. They didn't know what kind of person he is. Now people start What about Christine Quinn? Um, yeah, you know, kind of, he has also, you know, he's a lesbian. So that's another problem. <laughs> I think I have a new nomination for American Pundit. Not, maybe not totally informed. Um, maybe not totally informed. Chris, Christine Quinn, he is a lesbian. <laughs> 
true. That's true. She she is a lesbian. Um, Anthony Weiner, the tapes. Right. I didn't see any tapes. That would have been for a different kind of election. <laughs> Saw a lot of photographs. Right. No tapes. And Bill de Blasio, he is an idiot. He's an, he's not normal. He's not normal. He's not normal. <laughs> he's not a normal person. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if that cuts Bill de Blasio deep on a deep level. He's lost the horse and carriage vote. Well, that's for sure. We've got more. I mean, there's more. Let's go to uh, let's go to cut number seven. That was seven. Play oh, let's go to cut cut number eight. <laughs> Do you think Bill De Blasio's ever been on a horse? As I know, he told that he got a carriage ride. I don't know. Maybe he did. I don't know. I wasn't here. I didn't see him. Mm-hmm. I would recognize him. That's such a different tip type. <laughs> what do you mean? What does that mean? Different type. He's too big. <laughs> He's too big. <laughs> too big and too like like a. Probably like a cartoon character. <laughs> this guy's full cartoon of hot character. sports opinions. He's too big. He's he's a he's a different type. Well, now he's gone into um, he's explaining why he thinks of him as not normal, and why he would recognize him immediately. He's right. too big. Right. Right. Let's go to uh, clip number eleven, please. But not because of the horse things, and he started to, 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 to support us, and I really liked that. I really appreciate him. Yeah. Because also, he made movie in my country. What the, movie? The, 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 the Taken 2. Taken, right? Yeah. What's your country? The Turkey. Right, he Turkey. made a He made a great movie in Istanbul. What's your favorite Liam Neeson movie? The Taken 1. That was the best. That was, of course, on Liam Neeson, not Bill de Blasio. Mm-hmm. One of the things we found out, is apparently the night shift of the horse and carriage industry is completely dominated by the Turks. Yeah, they, they said as much. They said the night shift, it's mostly Turks. They're from the Turkey. From the Turkey. And then they said that the the day shift is Irish and Italian. Right. That's interesting. Who knew, I, We learned so much on the streets asking these guys about their industry. And There's I know more. they said, for example, that they believe Bill de Blasio is a communist, in oh. addition to being not normal. Um, yeah, we have that. That's cut number nine. Oh, Go. Let's hear it. What do you think of de Blasio? He's a communist. Oh. Where are you from? Turkey. Turkey. Okay. Why is Bill de Blasio a communist? Because he has so extreme uh, thoughts. And everybody knows he went to Cuba, you know, something like that, whatever. Everything is on the New York Times and Daily News, everything. Yeah, he went to Cuba. It says it in the New York times it's true well he did go to cuba he honeymooned in cuba yeah communist he went to nicaragua and joined the sandinistas i'm not arguing with this guy in this communist I think he, he is a communist everybody knows from the talks he's a communist <laughs> from detox from the talks well there you have it bill de blasio you've not only incurred the wrath of liam neeson's you've you've also incurred the wrath of the horse and carriage industry john what do you have you have a question what, what's what's wrong i want to know are these guys voters so I asked one if what? they they voted in the last mayoral election. He said no. Oh, so their wrath doesn't matter. <laughs> well, well, and I, I, I mean, asked another, "What next? What next?" If if he bans the horses, and he says, "Well, I'll just go to court." So I think I mean there is recourse for them, and I think what what did they say? There's something like 300 of them. Yeah, and that's and something else. He said, "We said, what would happen to your horses? What happens to these horses? Right?" The, and they point out, "We take care of these horses. These horses have a good life." He said, "They'll go to the slaughterhouse." They will go to the slaughterhouse if they're not employed here. I've heard that. They don't just go to the farm and hang out. Yeah, many of these horses are saved from slaughter to come and be carriage drivers in in Central Park. Um, 
I can't imagine tourists taking pictures of those electric cars the way they do with the horses. That's Bill de Blasio's plan, to replace the horse and carriages with old-timey, Model T-looking, clippy-clap electric cars. I know I should be paying more attention to this, but with the new electric cars, is that going to have the same number of jobs in New York City as the horses? Well, not for horses. No, but I mean- A lot of horses will be out of work. For people. I don't know. 300 new electric car drivers- well, as the Daily News says, no one gets to instruct a working man or working woman that they'd be better off switching careers to an occupation that has a stamp of approval issued by those of a higher moral order. That or start over on the unemployment line. I mean, there are real questions here, real questions about unemployment, about morality, for some, I guess, about animal rights. But it's actually really pleasing to see so many people on the side of the horses in this city. Including a man with a very specific set of skills. Including Liam Neeson. Skills that helps him with people like you. Take Mayor that, Blasio. Leonardo DiCaprio. When we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, MSC Cup. I'm Will Kane. Will, you have young kids. I do. I know they're tech savvy. They are. Yeah, I know. And they're young, right? Six years old and almost three. And they can work an iPad and do all that stuff. It's amazing. Can't believe it. Swipe, type. That's crazy. Negotiate Netflix. Would they recognize, would they know what a VH, VHS cassette tape is? Absolutely not. A DVR, uh, uh, I mean uh, 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 a VCR? Absolutely not. They would have no idea what. Well, they've that never is. encountered one in their life. That's amazing. I mean, we obviously grew up with, with that technology. Absolutely. Yeah, that was part of our childhood. I remember taping stuff off of television. Totally. Oh my god, I did the same thing. Yeah. Like my favorite, like ER was going to be on, and so I would tape it. Why? I don't know. Right. You, you want to watch it again? I guess. Only right. because ER is like Law and Order. It wasn't it on everywhere. Yes. Syndicated on every channel. Yeah. Why you had to tape? No, but it. I had to tape it, and I did. I did. Faithfully. Gotta tape it. I gotta tape it. Right. Because there was this, always there was this fleeting, this sense that like all culture was fleeting. You were never going to be able to capture it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, the React series, which basically talks to kids of this generation to see what they know about previous generations, did a really funny interview of sorts recently where they put something in front of these kids, and asked them what it was. Let's go to uh, clip number one. Kids react to technology. This episode, Walkmans. We're mixing it up on you again. Okay. You're not watching a video. Oh, no. I'm so scared. You're reacting to this. Oh, what is this thing? I have no idea what it is. <laughs> what is this? I don't get what it is. What do I do? Press play? I don't know what it does. <laughs> I, I Well, first of all, let me ask you this because oh, I haven't seen it. Did they have headphones connected to the Walkman? No. No. It's just the box and there's no tape in it either. 
And so it's no, I mean, obviously, it's not no surprise a kid would get that and say, oh, it's a phone. No, it's not a phone. No, and they would never have encountered a cassette tape in their life. Why right? would they know what this is? Do you remember in our, like, Teddy Ruxpin dolls, there were cassettes in the back that played no, I stories? No, never had a Teddy Ruxpin. Thank you. Okay. Why would I know that? Okay, play the next clip. Do you know what a cassette is? No. 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 So we have a cassette. I've never seen this. Ah. Ooh. Are these like in the movies? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's great about it is they're also fascinated by it. Like it's an ooh. What, is, what, are, what do you think she meant by are these like in the movies? What is this contraption? <laughs> I, maybe she has some picture in her mind of a reel-to-reel movie projector. Something. Ooh. So, but it's funny because to answer your earlier question, they are never given the the headphones. So they still don't ever really understand what this thing does because without the headphones, how do you listen to it? They were really fascinated, fascinated. And I'm wondering, do you think they'd have the same fascination with the Discman or was that like maybe yeah. they'd be more able to recognize a Discman? Well, they may think it's a DVD player. Those are still floating around. People right. still have DVD players and have discs. And for that purpose, they don't really for music anymore. So yeah, I don't think many people, uh, kids would think, this is a music device. Do you ever worry about the technology surpassing you? Yes. Totally, right? Yes. So like when you're in your 40s yes. or and your kids are maybe in their teenage years and they're way up on technology that you're totally not into... Do you worry how old you're going to feel? Oh, I'm, uh, this is why I worry about it, because it's already happening. Really? Um, well, I'm not a first adopter, and I never have been. Me I was neither. a late person to get a cell phone. I was yeah. a late person to get a smartphone. And so it's just I don't care that much. So, I I mean, I'm still operating on iOS 6 here on my iPad. And, I don't know what that means. And my phone. That's Seriously? No, seriously. That's the operating system. So we're up, up to 7 or something like that. So. When we're hanging out with younger people, they say, oh, cool, vintage operating system. <laughs> you know? No! Yeah, and I don't care. Uh-huh. And then it makes me mad when things don't work appropriately, so me I'm too. already getting there. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, that is my greatest fear, that my kids will know stuff about life that I don't know, um, because then I'll feel just completely out of control. And I'll feel old, but also just out of control. So we're almost out of time. Do you want to do this real quickly? Do you want me to uh, confess something to you? Of course. You want to have an SE confession? SE confession. Absolutely. You mentioned Teddy Ruxpin. I had no Teddy Ruxpin, and I pretended, how dare you, more manly than a Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. My brother had a Care Bear doll. He got into the Care Bears. Okay. I didn't. We all had Care Bears. But I will admit that there was a Cabbage Patch owned by me. Oh. They were huge at one time. Oh, I had like eight. huge. Was it? Well, this is the defining question. Will bro Kane? (laughs) Was it a boy or a girl? Oh, please. Can only spec so much. I mean, it was a boy. Oh, of course. This is like Game of Thrones. Who I wish that you have many sons. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, I had a lot of those too. I'll give you a pass on the Cabbage Patch Kid, unless, of course, you were fourteen. That's my confessional to you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging out. For I hope you warmed up that Saturday's coffee. Cane and cup. Yeah. yeah. And I hope I hope you've uncrossed your legs between nine and twelve. Made it through the paper. Went through the Game of Thrones. Some cramps. Came up with a few Ask a Black Guy questions and voted in an American pundit. Appreciate you hanging out with us on Cane and Cup. We'll see you again. Next week. Next week.
You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.